0: Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word and for your son who came to us. I pray you would bless us, give us ears to hear what you would have us to hear, hearts to receive what you would have us to receive, and to do what you would have us to do. I ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. To say that all Scripture is inspired by God is not necessarily to say that all Scripture is equally grand and magnificent. There are parts that are important, that are indeed God-breathed, that aren't necessarily awe-inspiring all, on their left to themselves. In the, in the grand whole, as a whole, it is awe-inspiring, but not all individual parts are necessarily grand. And we need not try to make them to be so. We can automatically think of all the genealogies in the Old Testament. They are great. They are important. They teach us things. They are not necessarily, for most of us at least, awe-inspiring. And we don't have to work hard to try to make them to be so. Our Philippians 2 passage is not one of those. It is on its own one of the grand and glorious passages of Scripture. Understandably, and one might say rightfully one of the more famous passages of Scripture. It's considered by many the part with, uh, when we talk about Christ's humility and coming down, it is considered by many scholars to be a part of an ancient early Christian hymn. Paul's quoting here in this this passage. And it is even given the name, the Christ hymn. Sometimes scholars would just refer to the Christ hymn, speaking of Philippians chapter number 2. Whether it be an ancient hymn that is quoted here or not, it is indeed exalted language. And its content has been dearly lived, loved by Christians for centuries since we, Paul, penned the letter itself. Now bracketing the Christ hymn are a couple of passages that are equally well-known. Maybe not equally, but are also very well-known, but are perhaps less loved At least if we judge their love by how well or how often we abide by these passages. For example, do nothing out of selfishness or conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourself. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then, following the Christ hymn, we are told to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We know these passages, they're all so famous. We just have a little more difficulty with them, if you will. Yet these passages are vitally connected to the Christ hymn. Matter of fact, the Christ hymn is there for us to be encouraged to follow and do these bracketing passages as well. They, the humility and working out of our salvation and fear and trembling are founded upon the Christ hymn, they manifest themselves in our lives as we come to grasp, to believe, and to love the truths found in the Christ hymn. Now, I want to spend the, very, the first part of this sermon looking, we do not have time, nor could I possibly mine all the depths of the Christ hymn. Uh, I, I always fear when approaching these sorts of magnificent passages that I'm going to do violence to them merely by commenting on them because they are so magnificent on their own. So I want to talk just briefly about one part of the Christ hymn and then look briefly as well at the bracketing passages. Part of the great glory of the hymn hangs on the mystery and the ambiguity found in the phrase Paul says that Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. This phrase is translated in different ways. He did not think it robbery to be equal with God. He did not think equality with God a thing to cling to. He did not think equality with God a thing to seize. He did not think equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. These are some of the different translations, all having different meanings, variations of meaning. And the difficulty with the passage hangs on the word harpagmos, which is only used here once in the New Testament. And as far as I can tell, we only find it in one place that we know of in secular Greek literature. So it is a very rare word. We do find it in commentaries about Philippians, too, in the, in the early church, but they're just using the rare word. <clears throat> so we're not exactly sure. We don't have a lot of context for how this word is often used. So it has led to different translations. It seems to mean the act of, either the act of seizing or the thing that is seized, Or, in some cases, in its its use in the secular Greek uh, literature, um, it, it means robbery. So, we have different, slightly different meanings here, and it's led to different interpretations. For example, in the early church, there are some who taught that it meant that Jesus did not think equality with the Father, something that he had to pursue. He didn't have to go get it, the deity. He wasn't climbing the ladder. And because he wasn't climbing the ladder, he could, in a sense, climb down the ladder. And this is because the deity was something that was simply in his nature. Similarly, but with a slight difference of emphasis, some said that Jesus did not view equality as something that he had to hold on to or he would lose it. Because, once again, equality was part of his nature. John Chrysostom writes in a commentary on this passage, Whatsoever a man robs and takes contrary to his right, he does not lay aside from fear, lest it perish or fall from his possession. He who possesses some dignity which is natural to him, fears not to descend from that dignity, being assured that nothing of that sort will happen to him. The Son of God feared not to descend from his right, for he thought not deity a prize seized, and he was not afraid that anything would strip him of his nature. So in the first, he wasn't trying to get it, and the other, he's not afraid that he will lose it. Others still see it as an idiom, meaning equality was not something to be exploited for personal gain, and the NIV translated, translated with this in mind, I believe, that quality was not something he was used to his own advantage. This is in contrast to the usual use of power and position. Once someone, I almost said in the ancient world, but why limit that to the ancient world? Once a human gets power, what is it natural to think? How do I consolidate this power? How do I get more of it? How do I get the most benefit out of this power and this station that's been given to me? How do I use this to my advantage? The Son of God did not view His divinity as something to use for His own selfish ends. He did not use it to avoid suffering, as many of us would, to make life easier for him. Instead, he humbled himself, obedient to the Father, even to the cross, and to death, so that we might benefit from his position and power by bringing us salvation. Of course, after which he was exalted, but he brought us with him in his exaltation. It was not simply for his own ends. There are, the, these are some different interpretations, and there are many more interpretations of what Paul is meaning when he talks about using uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus not viewing equality with God as something to cling to, to seize, to use for His advantage. And I, I don't feel the need. there are sometimes when there are ambiguities around passages of Scripture. Um, that and this is true, especially often amongst the, the linguists among us, that we have to pursue clarification. We have to figure out what the right interpretation, the right use of the word is, as if often the writers just simply weren't very good writers. And if they were better writers, they'd have been more clear. And so we have to clear, clarify for them what they were trying to say. Whereas I would like to think that when they are ambiguous, perhaps they're ambiguous on purpose. And I will do violence to be more clear than they are at times. So I'm happy to submit these interpretations as all worthy of consideration and meditation. While perhaps seeing some common themes in them as well. Now what I'm going to say, I'm going to use very human terms for Christ that may not fit well with his divinity. But they are all I have in my toolbox so we can think of them, think better of them than I than you hear of them. in all these interpretations, Jesus is so confident in what his nature is and in what he can do in obedience to the Father that there is no hesitation, no fear to humble himself and to seek our salvation. He is so confident that he could endure the torture and indignity of the cross. And neither was he so enamored, if you will, of his own nature that he could not or would not see anything else. And this is the mind, Paul says, this is the mind we are to have in us. This confidence, this understanding of things, is the mind that we are to have in us. Now, you might say, my nature is not something that I would suggest anyone have confidence in. My nature is not one that I could put confidence in. And I don't know who of you said that, but you're right. It is right of all of us. But it is not my nature, it is not my nature that I'm being asked put confidence in in this passage we are to put our confidence in the same place that Jesus put his in his nature I appreciate what Luke said last week that we can have confidence that God is a God who forgives someone who repents we put our confidence in the nature and character of God And this is what we were invited to do in Philippians 2. Put our confidence in the nature of who Jesus is, in the doctrine that he is God and became man. It is when reading these sort of grand passages that I realize that things like the incarnation, though they are mysterious and in some ways ununderstandable, are incredibly practical. They are the foundation of how I live practically my life. They are not just doctrines. They are a way of life. And my confidence is put in the fact that Jesus did not think it robbery to be God. Did not think it it a problem. Did not think equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be gained That he could lose. He was fully God. And because of that, he could condescend to become a man. And because of that, I obey and live in the confidence of who Christ is. Because his nature in baptism is given to us. His life ...is given to us. And for us too, this nature is not something we have to seize for ourselves. We don't have to try to climb that ladder... ...fearful that we won't make it to the top... ...and fearful that someone else might knock us off and get there first. We don't have to get it by robbery... ...by sneaking our way into the life of Christ... We don't have to live thinking, if well, if anyone really finds out what I was thinking when Pastor TJ was preaching that sermon today, all those nasty things, but if anybody ever finds out what I really am, what I really think inside, they'll know. We don't have to live with that fear because we have confidence in Christ. As Luke said last week, he's one who forgives. He knows who we are, and he came down to us knowing who we are to bring us salvation. We are received, we receive His nature, His life by the grace of God. We receive it through Christ's own confidence that led Him without hesitation to come down for us and to be be exalted and to exalt us with Him. For as Paul says in Ephesians, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. It is from this, pr- this place of confidence in Christ that we work out our salvation because we are confident in what who he is and what he has done. We work out our salvation, not as a way of trying to grasp it or earn it, but as a way of letting it exist in us in its fullness, in everything that it can be. We obey him. I am confident that he is God. So when he tells me something should be done, I do it. I'm confident that he's come to bring me salvation. So when he tells me this is the way of life, I follow it. Part and parcel of this salvation and having it in its fullness in us. Maybe the first part of having is Salvation and letting it reign in its fullness in us, is humbling ourselves as Christ did. Confident in his nature, Christ's first step towards our salvation was to humble himself. Accepting and grateful for his nature and confident in it, our first step in this salvation should be to humble ourselves. To consider others better than ourselves. To consider their interests no less than our own. To use our salvation not for our own ends. To use our new status, our new station in life, the life that he's given us, not in an attempt to consolidate power. So that we can consider ourselves better than other people. Not for our own ends but we use our salvation for the sake of others. Most of us still need work in this area. There are ways, and I'm going to give you ways that I think about when I sometimes, I sometimes evaluate, if you will, how am I doing in this humility thing and humbling myself thing? So what I'm about to tell you are things that I am guilty of doing. I recognize when I'm doing these things, I'm not really considering others more important than myself. You may have other ways, but let me just mention some ways that you can think about how we're doing. One of the most common ways I realize I'm not thinking about others is when I'm talking to people, my conversations with people. How good a listener am I? And I don't mean just listening to what they're saying. I mean really listening to them and not for the sake so that I can then, when they're done, say something about myself along the same vein as they're talking about. If you listen to children's conversations, we hear this all the time. I got a new toy for my birthday. It's great. I love this toy. Oh, yeah, I've got two of them, right, that are better than yours, right? Maybe not quite that bold, but pretty close, right? I hear what you're saying. Now, let me tell you what I have to say, right? I hear you talking about yourself. That's great. Let me tell you about me. Now, Luke mentioned this last week. Sins of our youths often continue to be the sins of adults. We're just really good. We're just really good at polishing them up, right? And how often in my conversation do I hear people, and can't wait for them to finish so that I can tell the story about me. That's a great story. Let me tell you about me. Let me tell you about me. Why? Because I'm the most important person in that conversation. And I want them to know that. I want them to know that I've done some really cool stuff in my life. I appreciate the fact that you've done some cool stuff in your life, but I think I've done better things. Let me tell you my story. rather than simply living, listening and loving that person as they tell things about them, being interested in them, considering them possibly, considering the possibility that you are not better than them. Of the two people in this conversation, you're not the better. Of course, for some of us, and this is less mine, but for some of us, We like to hear other people talk so that we can give them advice, right? Advice is another good way. Let let me tell you how to fix that problem. Why? Because it's a condescending thing. You've got a problem. I've got the answer. Let me tell you. There are some people who have an absolute answer for every situation that comes up, right? Because they're the better person in the conversation. Another, this is for those of us who are married. There is is no place where we should evaluate, for those of us, who there's no place we should evaluate how am I doing in humbling myself more consistently than with our spouse? Because this is where, in in, in the family, this is where the, the rubber really hits the road. Have I moved past the immaturity and unhealthy healthiness of seeing my spouse as existing to meet my needs. I'm glad I'm married so that my wife can do these things for me. I'm glad I'm married so that I can really feel good now about myself. And if I don't feel good about myself, well, why am I even married to this person? She, he exists for me. Have we moved past that to the more healthy and more joyful stage of a relationship of living to meet your spouse's needs? Finding your purpose, not in having your needs met, but in saying, I am married to this person. I want to know who this person is and I will find my joy in meeting his or her needs. I exist for her. So that when we hear something good about a relationship, we see something good in someone else's relationship, is our first instinctual thought, Am I getting that in my relationship? Is that being provided for me? Or is our first instinctual thought, Am I providing that for my spouse? Am I giving that to my spouse? Can I do that better so that my spouse can have a a more healthy environment to be in? That is humbling yourself, considering considering your spouse to be the better person. Considering your spouse's needs no less than your own. That is the healthy place for a relationship to be in. And I will challenge husbands to go first in that. Husbands, be Christ, be Christ who goes first. Christ first humbled himself for the sake of his bride. Husbands lead in that humility. These are things, these are things I think about. When, when, when considering myself and thinking, am I, do I have confidence in the nature of Christ? Do I have confidence in who he is and in what he has done for me so that I can be like him and do as he has done, humble myself as he has humbled himself? Live in the confidence that Christ is the son of God, the full member of the triune God, the Godhead, who has become a man for my salvation so that he may be exalted, but not just he exalted, but he brings me into that exaltation. Am I so confident in that that I can lay my life down? It is good and right to meditate on the grandeur of Philippians chapter 2. We should. It's a great passage to memorize. This is the next passage on my family's memorization list, Philippians 2. And I hope it's so grounded in my children's life. that They never doubt. Christ is, Jesus is the Son of God who became a man. And I can live that out in humility as he did. And I will find joy in that. So I encourage you to memorize. memorize. I was going to say meditate, but if you want to memorate, which is both the meditation and the memorization of Philippians chapter two, I would encourage you to do that in the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit. Amen.